Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bones Dietitian Podcast. How are we doing today? All right, so this episode today, we are talking about being a perfectionist and a mom and the relationship with food and with our body. So I think this is going to be an awesome episode for parents and parents-to-be, but also just everyone, because I think part of the issue with the culture that we have is expectations on mom that are intense. So I think as like a non-parent, it's really cool to understand the different levels of complexity behind actually being a parent and all the pressures that are behind it. So I hope that you're truly going to love this episode. Nicole McNellis is on the podcast with us, with us today. She is a licensed mental health therapist and maternal mental health counseling specialist. So she is a mom herself and with her own lived experience, she is now working with moms and helping them just find their balance in the new lives of becoming a mom and exploring their own unique and important challenge. So she's been featured on so many print publications, online media, books, and podcasts, and she is such high energy and has so much humor. So it's just a really fun episode uh, for us to connect with her. So I hope that you're really going to enjoy this episode with Nicole I myself have learned a lot. And as a parent to be one day, not announcing anything on the podcast, but in the future, um, I think it's really cool to understand all of those different layers. So I hope that you're truly going to enjoy this podcast episode. If you do, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Again, it means so much to us to be able to continue to increase the impact from the anti-diet perspective. I think these are messaging that are really helpful for a lot of people to hear. On that note, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you're doing so, so good today. I am so pumped. Hello, Nicole. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about our topic today. I think it's going to be really fun to talk about. I know, me too. I think this is a conversation that ha- like needs to be had way more often than it is. Uh, but before we get into today's topic, do you want to tell us maybe a little bit more about you, who you are, what you do, what got you to do the work that you do today, all of your origin story? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so my name is Nicole. I am a licensed mental health therapist. Um, I practice uh, in Pennsylvania. I have my very own private practice, which is amazing. 
and I specialize in maternal mental health. So I work mostly with moms um, and I am a mom myself. So I have two young children who are very high energy and keep me on my toes, um, <laughs> which is always fun. So I'm always trying to, to balance that. And I have a really interesting kind of winding path in terms of how I got here. So um, after undergrad, I actually started out in sales and marketing. I did that for six years. Yeah. Yes, I am a career changer. So um, yeah, I did that for six years and I was doing well, but I didn't feel like I was doing any good. I didn't feel like I was doing any good in the world and that didn't really sit well with me, right? So I felt like I was learning a lot. I liked my colleagues, but the only thing that I liked about my actual work was the relationship building. I didn't like the selling piece of it, which is really problematic when you're in sales and marketing. <laughs> so um, I made the really difficult decision um, to leave that career and to go back to graduate school. Um, and it's funny because I thought I was old in graduate school and I was like 28. I look back at that now and I think like, oh my goodness, what like to be 28 again. Um, and so, yeah, so I went back to graduate school. I finished as quickly as they would let me get through the program. Um, and now I've been a therapist for, for over 10 years and it has been, it's, professionally, it's the best decision that, that I've ever made. So, you know, for anyone out there that's weighing a number of things and thinking about changing their career, it really, um, it's been, it's been wonderful. And it definitely was a good, mm. it was a hard decision. Um, and at the time it was a really difficult decision, but it was a really wonderful decision. And now I feel like every day that I get to go to work and do this work, I feel so fortunate that I get to help people on a daily basis, that I get to work with moms. Um, it really is, it just feels like such meaningful work. And then in terms of, um, you know, intuitive eating and a lot of the, the work that, that you do, um, I was actually first introduced to intuitive eating in graduate school um, and not as part of our curriculum, which was unfortunate because it really should be a much bigger part of all graduate school curriculums when you're in the helping professions. Um, but I actually met, we had a really wonderful registered dietitian on campus, believe it or not, which was really cool that we had access to as students. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was, I was a graduate school student and I was working. So I was tired. I wasn't feeling good in my body. And I thought, well, you know, some of my, you know, classmates are meeting with her and they seem to be enjoying their time with her and learning a lot. So, you know, maybe I'll just meet with her. And I did. And that was my first introduction to intuitive eating. And it really has informed a lot of the work that I do. Um, and it really, I view, I use it personally too. I think intuitive eating is amazing. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in our conversation, but it is a big part of the work that I do with moms. Uh, I love that so much. First of all, thank you for sharing with us your journey and career change. And I love that, like how inspiring it is that like we get to do the things that we love, you know, like it's, I always reflect back on that. I'm like, how cool is it that we get to wake up every day and do the work that just like fills our heart? Like so amazing. So, so amazing. And then yeah. so cool that you had an anti-diet registered, or I'm going to say anti-diet, intuitive eating registered dietitian at your anniversary. And like, that is amazing. Like, yeah. Uh, if everybody could learn intuitive eating from like a very young age, I feel like it would be so wonderful. Um, yep. But how did you decide to start working with moms? Like, has it always been something that you were like, I'm a mom, I want to work with moms or 
just like an interest that you're like, I see that moms really would need that support. And I, I want to be that person for them. Yeah. So that was, that was a process for me too. Um, so after I graduated from graduate school, I actually started out as a school counselor and I loved that work. I loved working in schools. I loved working with students. I loved working with parents. And then I had my own children and I realized that I wanted to make a shift to, to outpatient work. It allowed for a lot more flexibility and it allowed for more in-depth work rather than, you know, working in a school system and working with, you know, usually two to 300 students on my caseload. I really wanted to do more in-depth work with individuals. And so I transitioned to, to outpatient work. And then while I was doing outpatient work, I, I was a new mom myself. And I recognized that the population that I did my best work with were not surprisingly, were similar to me. We're, we're new moms. Um, we're moms with toddlers who were struggling with all of you know what that entails and, and just what a big life transition that is to go from, you know, just taking care of yourself and being able to go out when you want to and do the things you need to do and being able to take car rides by yourself to run out to the store and all of these little things that we take for granted. And then you become a mom and everything shifts. Suddenly you're responsible for this tiny human. And it is, it's a really big life change that I feel like culturally we don't give a lot of credit to. And so while I was going through that and recognizing that that is who I was doing my best work with, I eventually decided that I wanted to specialize. I went on and got some specialized training and certifications and all that good stuff. But I feel like really my work with moms is informed by my experience as a mom and what that means and how that shows up practically, but also how that shows up emotionally. And I think for many women, and you'll know this from the work that you do, there's not a lot of safe spaces for us. There's not a lot of spaces in the world that are designed just for us where we can just show up and just be right, where we don't have to, you know, put on an act, right, where we don't have to do everything right. In therapy, mm -hmm. you can just show up and work through the things that you need to work through. So for me to be able to provide that for my clients, really, it's a, it's a privilege and an honor. And so yeah. that is how I came to specialize because I wanted to hold that space for moms. And I'm so fortunate that I get to do that on a daily basis. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And it's so impactful. And like, oh man, just the way you're speaking, like your clients are so lucky to have you. Um, let's talk. So today we wanted to talk a lot about like mom's perfectionism, um, relationship to food, relationship to the body, all of the things that I think that when um, women become moms, I feel like they're like put on steroids, like all of the expectations and all of the things. So I think today's going to be a super cool episode, but let's start with maybe talking a little bit about like, what is perfectionism? Like, what does that actually entail? What does that actually look like? Um, yeah, absolutely. So when I think of perfectionism, I like to start out with what it's not. And because I think when a lot of people think of perfectionism, they think, oh, it must be like striving for excellence. It's not. That's actually not mm. what perfectionism is. Perfectionism is this idea that if it's not absolutely perfect, if this thing, whatever that thing is, is not reaching some like absurd, unattainable standard, then it's trash. We need to throw it all away. That's what mm -hmm. perfectionism is. Perfectionism is this very like absolutist way of thinking. So for example, 
when clients are thinking about, you know, okay, I want to, you know, they're wanting to, um, you know, think about like some healthy habits, right? They're wanting to move their body more and they set some goal like, I need to work out five days a week for an hour a day. And if I don't do that, then I'm not doing any good at all. Where that that's not helpful, right? Where we start to think about what does joyful movement look like for you? Where do you actually feel joy in moving your body? Like that's good, that's good enough, right? Like you don't have to set like unattainable standards. And then if you don't reach those standards, you just throw it all away. It's where are you? Let's talk about where you're feeling good in your body and what that would mean for you, right? And that's how we start to move away from that idea of perfectionism. But perfectionism is really damaging, right? Like there's so much in our lives that's good enough that we just throw away because it's not perfect. Mm, I love that so much. And I love that, like that first distinction between like you wanted to do good and like strive for excellence is not the same. It really sounds like that all or nothing of like, it's either this or not. Um, and the way you said, it, I don't know, are you on Instagram and TikTok? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it like makes me think, I don't know if you saw the meme where it's like the person who's like, okay, if I, if I do something on the first try and it's not perfect, it's okay. And the person like, it's trash. I'm completely trash. And I'm like, oh my God. Yes. Like that's how yeah. it feels. Like it feels like if you can't attain that standard, then that. Mm-hmm. And how would you think like it tends to present itself like differently in mom, like in moms in general, like how does that tendency maybe, yeah, show up maybe differently or maybe gets exacerbated once we become parents? Well, I think you said it so perfectly. You said that when, when we become moms, it's like everything is suddenly on steroids, right? It's just like on a completely different level. So for moms, kind of culturally and socially speaking, there's so much pressure in every aspect of our lives, how we look, how we parent, the things that we do on a daily basis how much time we spend with our kids, how much time we spend at work, the things that we're feeding our kids and our families, everything, everything is just taken to the next level. The pressure for so many moms is just crushing and it's it's coming at us from every angle. And what starts to happen is when you hear those messages for so long and so consistently, it's hard not to internalize some of those messages, right? And so when we start to internalize, perfectionism is about this idea, also in addition to kind of like the all or nothing, there's a right and wrong way to do things, right? There's a right way to eat and a wrong way to eat, right? And if you're doing the wrong way, then you're a bad mom, right? Those are the messages that we get. And when those messages are so painfully consistent, how do you not internalize those messages? It takes a lot of work to push back against a lot of those messages. So that's how I see that showing up for moms. It shows up pretty consistently and it's really difficult. Yeah. And I like, like, we'll talk about the different myths that there are, because I can't just imagine like, you know, women becoming moms. Like I think everybody sets out to be a good mom, right? Like you want to be a good parent. You want to be a good mom, but then when the expectations are so high or maybe like the checklist of things that you need to do to be a mom is just maybe really overwhelming. But then the alternative is if I don't do that, then I'm a bad mom. Like, man, that's really, really hard. Like it's a hard space to be when you have all this pressure and you're like, but your intentions are like, just like, I want to be a good mom, but maybe there's so much misinformation about what it actually means to be a good mom, that it becomes almost like this quest of like, I'm going to burn myself on the way there. Like it just, it's, 
it's a lot. So much. Exactly right. Yep. Yeah. What would you say are like common myths that we hear about, like those messaging that you say that are that we tend to maybe internalize that are maybe not so supportive or helpful? Right. There are so many aspects of mothering where we get messages that this is the right way and that this is the wrong way. And it's everything from baby sleep to how you feed your baby to how you move your body and how quickly you have to bounce back um, from giving birth to a tiny human, right? It is in every aspect of mothering, there is a right way and a wrong way. And that is just, first of all, it's just, it is, it's not attainable, right? It's just not attainable. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to filter through those messages and try to figure out, well, what actually works? Like nobody ever asks you like, well, what's a good fit for you? What works for you? What works for your family? It's just, and especially with, you mentioned social media, especially with social media, moms are just inundated, inundated Mm -hmm. with this is what perfect family life looks like right? This is what work-life balance looks like, right? And those are curated images, right? Those are curated messages. They're not reality, right? Mm -hmm. And so to be inundated with that and to try to filter through that when honestly, you're just exhausted from your day job, right? Which is being a mom and, you know, maybe also, you know, doing paid work, right? Trying to balance all of that is absolutely exhausting and to try to figure out what works for me and what doesn't when you're getting all these messages that this is the right way and this is the wrong way is can really just break someone down oh yeah it it's just it's it's a lot um and maybe we could talk about myths around like I'm thinking about a lot of the listeners who are here who like we talk a lot about relationship to food and to body and I think like when it comes to being a mom there's all the expectations of like being a mother and how that needs to look like but then there's also like all that concerns around like body image and how your body Mm -hmm. should be and how you should be nourishing yourself and like maybe nourishing your Mm -hmm. child and like all of that as well like that's also so much pressure like this idea that like you must be pre-pregnancy body within the first whatever days months or a year is is intense it's so intense it's almost like we want to like negate the fact that like you were just pregnant (laughs) like you just grew a life but it's like cool now that it's done though like please get Mm -hmm. back to a body that it's deemed socially acceptable that's right yeah and so much of what I see is this idea and it's really very steeped in diet culture right where diet culture is very prescriptive, right? You need to restrict this. You need to move like this. You can only eat these things. Don't eat these things. This is what you need to eat more of, right? And when we're steeped in that culture, that there is a right way to look, that there's an outcome that you need to be striving for. And in order to get to that outcome, you need to do it this way. We are so surrounded by that. We are so steeped in that, that it takes, first of all, you have to even become aware of it. I mean, you probably uh, encounter this a lot in your work. The way you even start to work against diet culture is you even have to recognize that it exists because it's so omnipresent. And now, of course, a lot of it is kind of, um, you know, it's been rebranded as wellness, right? And it's, it's, restriction is not wellness. (laughs) It's, it's just not. And so, 
when that is, when you're just surrounded by that, to take the effort to pull that apart can be a real, can be a real challenge. So for -hmm. example, you know, new moms get a lot of messaging around like, okay, it should take this much time to get back to your pre-baby body. And it's like, but there is no, you're never getting back to your pre-baby body. Why should you? You just had a baby. You should look like you had a baby. You should feel like you had a baby. Like having a baby, giving, being a birthing person, giving birth is a huge physical, psychological, and emotional transformation, right? Where is this expectation that you give birth and then you should immediately, I mean, And if we really want to get into like culturally where that comes from, it's just kind of ridiculous, right? It's just like, you know, okay, now it's time you had the baby. All right. Now everything goes back to the way it was, right? Like we're going to treat you like you can just do everything the way that you did it before. Right. And it's like, no, we need to make space for the fact Mm -hmm. that you just gave birth. We need to make space for the fact that you're taking care of this little person that needs you for everything essentially. And culturally we don't do a good job of that. We don't make space for moms. We don't make space for bodies that don't look the way that we think that they do, that don't reach some ridiculous unattainable standard of what it means, you know, to bounce back after you have a baby. And it is just, it's like I said, it's crushing for a lot of moms. It's exhausting and it's hard to even kind of sift through, you know, they just feel like, okay, well, this is clearly the way it needs to be. And then there's guilt and all kinds of things that, that come up with that too, that are really unfortunate. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so much. And um, I do want to ask a question, but before I'll say that, I just, it seems though, even like with like moms who have like career goals or things like that too, like it almost feels like it's impossible that like, even if we we talk from this idea of like being a perfectionist, like we're already spread so thin, like it just seems like it's like so intense. And I know like that's something even for me, when I think about having a family that I'm like, but how will I be able to like achieve my career goals and all of these things and all of the energy, because it does seem like the pressure is so high and that the expectation is that you are the same person after a child. Like it's just intense. Mm -hmm. It's it's really a lot. Um, And what would you say to someone who maybe is in that, in that zone of like, you know, maybe a new mom who is stuck in those like type of perfectionist tendencies. And I, when I say that, I mean, I don't think being perfectionist is like a, like a personal failure. I think it's just kind of like the result of all this messaging that we have. But what would you say to someone there who's like, oh my God, like this is too much. Like what would be maybe some first steps to start maybe detaching from those types of beliefs? Right. So the first step is even recognizing that it's happening, right? The first step is recognizing that these expectations, that these unattainable standards that you're trying to hit, that they're not really coming like internally, right? They're not really coming from the inside. They're not really your voice. So much of it are these external standards that have now been internalized, right? So I, one of the things I work with clients on frequently and especially new moms is this idea. And I think that this connects really beautifully to the idea of intuitive eating is trusting yourself. How Mm. do you trust yourself when essentially, especially as women, all we've ever been taught is that this is the way, right? You Mm -hmm. can't trust yourself. You don't know what you're talking about especially in healthcare spaces, we have actual academic research that shows us that women are not listened to. Women are dismissed out of hand in healthcare spaces, right? So I work so hard to create a space where women feel like 
this is collaborative. This is someone who's really listening to me. This is somebody who gets it, right? This is somebody who's not going to dismiss my concerns, right? So the first step in managing perfectionism is even recognizing that it's happening, right? It's having a space to say like, where is this even, where is this even coming from, right? Is this really a goal that I want to achieve or is this just something I feel pressure to do, right? Um, so that's, that's the first step. And then next, something that we start to work on is this idea of, of trusting yourself. What, if you could really listen to yourself, what does that voice sound like, right? And for some women, that is so hard that we actually do an exercise where we talk about, okay, when you think about trusting yourself is rebuilding this relationship with yourself in a way, right? So when you think about an external relationship that's really important to you, and you think about the trust that's been built in that relationship, what are some of the things that exist in that relationship that help with trust, right? So a lot of times women will say something like, well, I know I can count on that person. I know that they have my best interests in mind, right? I know that they're making space for me, things like that. And then we look at taking those elements and bringing them back into a relationship with yourself, really, right? So if you need to know, right, that to build trust externally, right, you need somebody that you can count on. You can, you can do that for your, you can do that for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It's learning to show up for yourself in a different way, right? It's learning to talk to yourself differently, right? Instead of like, you know, listening to that self-critical voice, right? It's tuning into a voice where there's some more kindness, right? And then that's the, really, for me, that's the third step is self-compassion, right? So we look at, we start with awareness, then we move to learning how to trust yourself. And then we bring in self-compassion, right? We move from this really critical voice to a voice of kindness and compassion. We have to learn to talk to ourselves differently because the outside world is not going to change that for us. Do I think it's shifting a little bit, a little bit, right? It's getting better, <laughs> right? And I'm so We're, we're very hopeful. <laughs> right. So really, it really does. It, it definitely has been shifting especially in the last 10 years that I've been doing this work, 10 years ago, self-compassion, that wasn't even like a thing. It wasn't even a concept that we talked about, right? So there definitely is, there's definitely been a shift. We still have further to go, but really you have to start internally and individually. You have to start talking to yourself differently because the outside world is not going to do that for you. And so that's kind of where that piece comes in. And that helps with these ideas of perfectionism, right? Because if you're talking to yourself differently, then you can kind of talk back to those external voices that tell you you're doing everything wrong and that you should just throw all of this good enough stuff away, right? You then know internally that that's not true. Hello, hello. I am just stopping this podcast to tell you about the Bounce program. In the program, we have had um, a lot of parents come through. Honestly, I would say more than 50% of folks who come through the program are moms. And the reason behind it is that they get to a space where they start to see maybe some of their own behaviors in their daughters, or they start seeing that their daughters are starting to be impacted by diet culture, and they decide to do the work for themselves. And honestly, man, those are some of my favorite clients because as parents, we play a huge role for uh, uh, like to model, model healthy relationship to food and to our body. And it can be such a great time to do this healing work to one, do it for yourself because man, living in diet culture is hard, but then also to again, be a model and be able to help 
children foster healthy relationship with food in the body. So if you are listening to this and you're maybe like thinking that your relationship to food and your body could use an improvement or you, it's something that you're ready to work on, I'm going to invite you to apply to join the Balance Program. The Balance Program is a six month high touch group program with myself where we do the work. We work on our mindset, our relationship to food, our relationship to our body, health outside of diet culture. How can we still have goals? Like you can be a high achiever and still live outside of diet culture and you know, be healthy, happy, and have goals. Like that still happens. And this is what I teach you inside the Balance Program. With the guilt-free eating method, you're gonna get all the tool knowledge that you need to truly make peace with food in your body for good. So if you're ready for this transformation, if you're ready to ditch diet culture and really have a better relationship with food, body, and yourself, go apply to join the Balance Program at www.thebalancepractice.com forward slash program. I cannot wait to help you through this. This is going to be amazing. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. Oh, I love those so much. And I love those like three steps, the way that you divide them. And I can hear my people like listening to this who are like, self-compassion is so hard. <laughs> and it is like, I know when I first started to do some of this work, I was like, kind to myself. <laughs> like, wait, what? Um, one of my, my clients in the balance program, we call her inner critical self, bitchy Betty. And we're like, that like bitch in our head is very fucking loud sometimes. So the compassion yeah. piece is hard, but yeah. I love how you broke that down. And it is something to like, you know, it is doable to like kind of work towards that voice and finding self-compassion and giving yourself compassion along the way, <laughs> but it's okay if it takes a little right. bit of time. Um, right. But I love, love that so much. And I'm interested to know, like, how do you bring in intuitive eating into your practice and with moms? Like, how is that something that maybe like with your own experience kind of supports the work that you do with moms. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually going to tie this into what we were just talking about with, with self-compassion. So I'm not sure if you hear this, but one of the fears that I hear from women when we start talking about self-compassion is they are so used to this unhealthy pattern of, you know, I talk to myself critically, I kind of beat myself up, but then guess what? I get things done. Like I am somebody yes. who gets shit done, right? Like I am somebody who crosses things off my list. And the way that I do that is I'm really mean to myself, but at least I'm productive, right? There is such oh a God. fear, right? Do you know what I'm yes. talking about? There's such yes. a fear in letting go of being mean to yourself because then, then what would be the, then what if I'm not productive? Then what is my value, right? There's so much fear around that. So first we need to address that fear. And what we start to look at is, you, I still want you to be productive. I am never not going to encourage a woman to do all of the things that she wants to do and achieve all of the things she wants to achieve and take up as much space as she wants to take up in any room that she's in, right? I am all about that. But you can do that while also being nice to yourself, I swear. And I have to do so much convincing in the therapy yep. room, right? So my whole thing is like, just try it out. Just see what happens yeah. <laughs> when you're like a little bit nicer to yourself and you change some of that inner dialogue, not only are you still going to get things done, but you're not going to be as exhausted and beat up at the end well, of it, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, cause I used to be that person. I'm like, if I am not a dickhead to myself, I will <laughs> not get things done, but it is yeah. a myth that we fall into for sure. But 
you, you said it so right of like when you are actually kind one you get the same amount of stuff done if not more and you enjoyed the process and you're not tired yeah. after <laughs> you're like right. wow like right. it's such a different way and like I think that for me like that's one of the big parts of like walking away from diet culture allows you to really show up and like part of it is like well being nourished like you're not restricting yourself you're not obsessed with food in your body but part of it is also like the way that we interact with ourselves and show up for ourselves like it is exhausting to use shame as a motivator it's exhausting to always have that inner critic be like so loud in our ears but it's also like you said scary to let that go when it's the only way that you've been like program, like the only way that you've been operating for so long. Mm -hmm. Unhealthy behavior patterns work. And in order to move away from unhealthy patterns, we have to pull them apart, figure out where they're benefiting us, and then put healthier patterns in place. And so that's what I do with self-compassion. And then that's how I connect it to intuitive eating. So many of the, the women and the moms that I work with will say things like, well, the only way that I've ever felt good about my body is setting whatever the unattainable standard is and working towards that standard and beating myself up until I get there, right? Self-compassion is freeing, right? Just like you so perfectly described it, right? It gives us room to kind of move around and get stuff done and feel good about ourselves in the process. Intuitive eating I see is freeing in the same way, right? If you're not restricting, if you're not just trying to move towards these unattainable standards, if you're not just moving your body because you think you have to shrink it, right? If you're finding joy in movement, if you're finding joy in the food that you're eating, right? If you are finding joy and freedom in how you are treating your body, right? That is really freeing. It's also a little scary, right? It's also a little frightening, right? Especially for women, we have been told our entire lives, most of us have been dieting since we were teens or even before that, right? It has been, we've been so steeped in that idea, right? Of restriction and shrinking our bodies and all of those awful messages that to move away from that is freeing and frightening at the very same time, right? So client, when I start to introduce this idea of intuitive eating, they'll frequently say things like, well, then my eating is just going to get completely out of control. And it's like, there is no out of control with eating, right? Because if you're connected to your body and you're paying attention to your body, and I'm going to bring this back to something else we talked about, if you trust your own body, you're not going to treat it poorly. You, you cannot, those things don't go together, right? So, so much of intuitive eating is about treating yourself kindly and trusting your own body, right? And that is the way that I bring intuitive eating into the work that I do. If you are not feeling good in your body, first of all, what does that mean, right? What are you looking for? What would it mean to feel good in your physical body? Do you want more energy? Like, what is it that you're looking for, right? And then how do we get there while treating your body with kindness and not restricting and not following something that's super prescriptive and, you know, where you're going to be starving most of the time, right? And not moving to the point where it's painful, right? How do we get you away from all of that to feeling comfort and connected and trusting your own body and learning to listen to the signals that your own body is giving you? That is, that is really hard to do when for the most part, you've not known anything else. Yeah. 
so difficult to do, but so life-changing when you're, when you do that work, like when you, because it's also like it lasts then forever, right? Like once you trust your body. And I mean, I think I see it as like a relationship that you still have to like nurture as we do with all the other relationships. But once we get there, it's just a life with a a lot less friction. So I I love the way that you've put that. And I love how you integrate that as well. Because I think so many different principles of intuitive eating connect, (laughs) right? With like so many different aspects of life and how we like, how we show up and, and choose to live. And the last piece I wanted us to connect on is really this piece of cultivating like a positive body image and food appreciation and why it's so challenging. I think, especially for moms and new moms, like, I think it's something that's just really hard. Again, there's a lot of messaging around that, but can we talk a little bit about that? Like how we can maybe start cultivating a better relationship to food and to body when we are in that stage of our life. Right. So, so frequently, especially for new moms, it's about how does my body look, right? And so I like to try to help clients move away from how does my body look and how I think it's supposed to look and these messages about how I get that it's supposed to look. How does your body feel? How do you want your body to feel? Let's talk about appreciating what your body has just done. You, if you're a birthing person, you just brought life into this world. You just gave birth to a tiny human being, right? That is so much work and so amazing. And it's so dismissed, right? Just like you said, it's like you have the baby and then it's like, you're moving on, right? It's like not much thought is given to it after that, right? So Mm -hmm. this idea that let's really think about what your body's actually doing for you. What has your body done for your baby and for your family, right? Like, let's move into this space of body appreciation and and gratitude for what your body has done, right? Instead of this really insistent focus on how it looks and how it's supposed to look, right? What, What has your body done for you? What are you so thankful that your body has done for you and gotten you through, right? And that is a really helpful place to start when we're talking about body appreciation and moving away from this idea of a body image and all of the pressure that comes with that. Yeah, I love that so much. And I always add this piece of like the power of end. I don't know if you use that in your practice. I use that probably every day, (laughs) all of my Mm -hmm. clients of like, you can for sure feel uncomfortable in your body. Like I think your body, like, you know, your has gone through a lot, pregnancy, not pregnancy, just in general in life, like body discomfort is real. And like, you can feel uncomfortable. You can feel all the feelings you want around your body. And this piece of recognizing like, and my body is good. And my body has allowed me to create life. Like my body is like, it's allowing for both things to be there. And I think that's so powerful because it's almost like when we fall into like my body is uncomfortable. It's not how I want it to be. I wish I lost the baby weight. I wish blah, 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 blah. It's almost like we fall into this trap of like my, then my body is not good. Like my body is not good. I am not good. And all of our worth that is tied into that is just, it's extremely difficult. So I think when we allow space for like other truth and like that piece that you said around like the appreciation of like what can like what like almost like focusing on functionality of our body which at the end of the day I think is more important than the appearance of our body but that being said like kind of allowing that space for both to exist 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So much of the, the work that I do focuses on this idea that more than one thing can be true at the same yeah. time. And we have to learn to make space for that, right? Like we're yeah. one of the, you know, kind of the messages we frequently get is you only feel one way, right? Only one way is the right, you have a baby and everything is supposed to be wonderful. And it's like, no, that's not actually true. And once again, that is just an absurd amount of pressure to put on somebody that has just gone through this major life changing experience, right? And so let's make space for everything that she's feeling. Maybe she's uncomfortable in her, maybe she's physically uncomfortable because she just gave birth. Like things can hurt after you give birth. Like that's a real, there's a reason they have like special ice packs for things after you give birth, right? Like there's that, nobody wants to be that physically uncomfortable, right? So like you can be physically uncomfortable after you give birth, right? You can be overwhelmed with love or you can feel a whole lot of sadness and, and grief for the, the life that you're, that you've given up, right? Like, like it's okay. All of those things can be true at the same time. And we can make room for all of those. Like they're not mutually exclusive and we don't allow a lot of the time for all of this nuance, right? Like this is very nuanced and we need to make, that's one of the things I love about therapy is that part of my job is to make space for the fact that we are nuanced and complicated. One of my, I have a, um, a board that sits right in front of me when I'm doing my sessions. And one of my favorite quotes is, um, it's from Walt Whitman and it's, do I contradict myself? Very well then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And so one of the things I like my clients to walk away from session from, especially when they're feeling like they can't take up any space, both literally and figuratively is you contain multitudes, right? You can be happy and sad at the same time. You can be uncomfortable and grateful at the same time, right? Like it can be all of those things. You contain multitudes. You get to take up space. You don't have to justify that to anyone. And that's really powerful and really empowering. Oh, I love that so, so, so much. Um, yeah, I could, I could go on forever about this. Like, I think this is such a cool episode for people to hear. Is there something you want to leave the audience with any practical tool, anything that you think would be helpful for them on their way today? Absolutely. So I'm going to share um, my favorite self-compassion exercise. And um, because I work with moms, I really, and this is really informed by, by my mom life is I want the work that I do with clients to feel really practical and I want it to feel really sustainable. And I want it to feel like when they're struggling that the, the coping mechanism is just and the strategy is just right here and then they could just grab it, right? And so one of my favorite self-compassion um, exercises I like to think falls into that category. So when you are having trouble talking to yourself with kindness, right? What you can think about is, so you're noticing that this, this inner, this bitchy inner voice is coming out and saying all of these terrible things to you, right? And so, you know, you, you catch it, right? And then what you can ask yourself is, if I were to tell a good friend of mine, somebody who really cares about me, right? If they were to come to me and tell me this thing that they were struggling with, would I say all of these awful things that this bitchy inner voice is saying to me? Or would I show them kindness and compassion? And what would I say to them, right? And then you take that compassion and that kindness that you so freely give to other people and that you would share with this good friend of yours 
and you turn that towards yourself a little, right? What you're doing is you're changing that inner voice, just little by little, you're shifting that inner voice, right? So you're starting with this idea of how would I approach a friend with this? And then let me just turn a little bit of that towards myself, right? You're shifting that inner voice. So I love that exercise. And I feel like it's something that, you know, a lot of people can really kind of work through and and hold on to. Uh, I love that so much because I think it's so much easier to be kinder to other people. So when we can use other people's compassionate voices for ourselves, I think that can be so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I think this is, again, was an awesome episode. Where can people find you and work with you? Oh, absolutely. So um, if clients want more, or if listeners want more information uh, about my practice, they can find me at my website, NicoleMcNellis.com. And I'm also on Instagram at the Therapist Mom Collective amazing and all of that will be in the show notes so you can go check her out so before we finish today let's go with on with our fun questions the first one being what is your favorite food oh this was a really fun one so um this is a a celebration food um in my family that uh, we always look forward to that I look forward to so it's um homemade manicotti so my grandmother is an amazing cook and she makes homemade manicotti like from scratch. So like the pasta is from scratch, the sauce is from scratch. She gets um, fresh ricotta from like a deli that's down the street. And it is just, it is amazing. It is unfortunately a recipe I've not been able to replicate because I don't know what else she puts in it, but it's just so good. And um, it is just, it is something that brings me um, so much joy. And it also tastes mm. really good. And um in my family, it's a, it's a sign that we're, that we're celebrating something. So it has a really lot, a lot of wonderful and joyful um, connotations for me. Oh, I love that. I love when food plays such a deep role in like the comfort, the tradition, the connection, like, ah, that's so amazing. So, so amazing. If you had a superpower, what would it be? So this one's going to be really ridiculous. Um, But washing dishes is the bane of my existence. Um, like if I could, I have a really nice deck and I would like throw dirty dishes off of the deck um, if I, if that was an appropriate thing to do. So I would never have to wash them again. So my, my superpower would be that I could just wave a wand and all of the dishes in my house uh, would be clean, which is probably one of the more ridiculous answers I would imagine that you've ever got. But really, it's it would definitely make such a difference a, in my life. It honestly, really it's, a very, it's a very unique one, but... <laughs> It's very relatable. I think it's like, it's such an adult <laughs> wish. <laughs> I love it so much. Okay. What is your favorite way to self-care? So this is going to be such a therapist um, answer. So when I was thinking about this question, I thought my immediate answer was, well, what is it that I need? Right. That's how I think of self-care, right? I yeah. don't like to be prescriptive about it. So if I need to kind of chill out, I love really good fiction. And so I would love to just be sitting outside with a really good book and just kind of have my world go quiet and just kind of escape into a really good story. And then I'm pretty high energy. So sometimes I need to move around. Um, So I love kickboxing and kickboxing to like really good music um, for me is really fun. So if I need energy, I want to be hitting things. And if I need to relax, I like to read. (laughs) I love that so, so much. And I love how it's like, well, what do I need in that moment? That's really neat. Um, All right. And the last question for you, what does balance mean to you? So for me, balance is this idea that 
I am having the opportunity to be really intentional with my time. I really, as a, as a mom, as a mom who, you know, you know, is a, is a working mom, does paid work, um, you know, in addition to, to all of my work, all of my unpaid work as a mom, um, I love this idea that there are times where I get to really think about how do I want to spend my time. And so for me, when I get the opportunity to be really intentional about my time that I value so much, then I feel a lot more balanced. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing some of that time with us. We are very privileged to have had you on the podcast because I think this is going to be a super, super helpful one. So thank you again for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. I hope your listeners get a lot out of it. Yes. And if you've liked this podcast, don't forget to go right and review the podcast and then send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you liked about it. We cannot wait to hear from you. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Wasn't this podcast so awesome? I love talking to Nicole. I feel like this podcast just put a really big spotlight on all the pressures that moms and new moms have and how we can start really unpacking that. The three steps that Nicole taught us today was really the awareness piece, the self-trust and compassion. And I feel like those are really at the core of intuitive eating as well. Things that we start doing to really take better care of ourselves. In that piece of awareness, I'll leave you today with starting to think about maybe all the pressures that you are putting on yourself. Maybe all the ways that you are being pulled and asking your question, yourself those questions of like, why? Why do I feel I need to do this? Do I need to continue to do this, right? When we are living a life of alignment, man, there's so much less friction. So I hope that this podcast was really, really helpful for you. And I will catch you in the next episode.